I've traveled quite a few places around the world and see how technology really moves a country forward, especially places like Singapore and, and, and certain places in China. It is, it is amazing to see what technology can do and how it can improve infrastructures. And I really think that within the Caribbean region, we need tech-oriented leaders within the space to contribute to the conversation, to contribute to the advancement as it regards to development, because a lot of the development that's happening within the space, you realize that it's not fully thought out and what can happen in terms of how technology can enhance certain systems. We don't have those kind of conversations happening and people are doing things, you know, modus operandi, they're doing it how they've always been used to, even in terms of development. So for me, being able to learn all of this and take back and contribute to the development of the country, I think is a very possible path for my future. You're listening to the Digital Jamaica podcast, the show where we deep dive topical issues around tech to uncover opportunities we can leverage to earn. I'm your host, Kayla Francis, and today we're taking a slight deviation away from the main uh, theme for season three, which is Web3. In this conversation, I'm talking to Odain Houghton. He's the head of data governance at the National Commercial Bank and a PhD candidate. We delve a little deeper into the applicability of blockchain, not just for use with Web3, but practical real-world usage. Now, you would recall a conversation we had in the previous episode with Nicholas Key and with Donald Porter talking about the different ways blockchain can be used. But with Nicholas Key, he specifically spoke about the fishing industry. And it just so happens that Odain, who is a research associate at the University of Wales, Trinity St. David, is also focusing his research on the supply chain management aspect of fishing and fishing industries. Recently, he was part of a team selected to participate in a Welsh government-funded project um, called the Blockchain Challenge. And specifically, what the team is looking at is, uh, according to um, Odain, the complex global supply chain, which creates numerous social and environmental challenges in the fishing industry, because he says that, you know, this industry is the world's largest and oldest market sectors. And it is also the longest logistic network for food. And so we also explore food stability and how blockchain um, applications uh, coupled with supply chain management systems built on blockchain applications can also be used to um, to respond to food stabilization issues in Jamaica and elsewhere. As well, we look into how the technology can engender confidence and trust because one of the things his team is looking at too is digital identity and trust. So how can this technology engender that trust in government-owned data systems to include NIDS. Because if you remember, one of the biggest problems with NIDS was the whole privacy issue and do we trust the government to have so much information about us? So 
how can we use this system to kind of allay certain fears that the general public has? It's a really fascinating conversation and I had the opportunity to talk to Odin and I jumped at the opportunity because I know he's busy and he's all the way over in Wales. So, you know, it's it's not Web3, but it is blockchain. And so I still think it was relevant to have it as part of this discussion. Caution, because what it brings to the fore for me, and you, you, I, I'm sure you agree as the conversation goes on, is just how far-reaching and impactful this technology can be, especially when applied to some of the perennial problems that we face as a country, and how this technology can really, you know, give us a boost in terms of modernizing our systems and moving us away from developing nation status into developed nation status. So I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I'm grateful to Odin for giving me the time. And I'm sure you'll agree that it was a short but very useful conversation. So let's get into it. Hi, everyone. My name is Odin Horton. I would consider myself a cybersecurity analyst. I've been working in cybersecurity now for probably over eight to nine years. I am currently the head of data governance at the National Commercial Bank Financial Group, as well as I'm doing a doctorate in blockchain and cybersecurity at University of Wales, St. Trinity David. Um, I've been in IT for some time now. Actually, I've had, I have two masters within the, the, the technology space. I did a master's in digital business and innovation in London at the University of Westminster. And I would have done a, a second master's a few years ago in information systems. And I'm here to talk some tech stuff. So let's get right into it. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Welcome to the Digital Jamaica Podcast, Odin. Thanks for talking to me because I know right now you're in Wales. I am at the moment, yes. And you're, you're like a couple hours ahead of us, right? I am. So, so yeah, I know how that is. So thank you for talking to us. Today we're going to be talking to you about blockchain. Now that I think we have a clearer understanding of what the blockchain is, kind of how it works, how it's structured, I want to talk about what it is in its current iteration. For a lot of people, when we think about blockchain now, we're, we think Bitcoin. Is it because that's, the, that's kind of like one of the first applications for this piece of technology? Right. What, was, what was the genesis of it? Right. So initially, when you look into the history of it, cryptocurrency was one of the first applications to use it. So a lot of what's happening now in the crypto space, a lot of that is built on a particular blockchain uh, because of how it was designed. But then, you know, more and more as persons started looking into the technology, then they realized that, of course, it can be used for a lot more than just literally moving money across and, and taking away money or the power from the central bank or whatever the case may be, because of how the technology is designed, it's designed in such a particular way that once the blockchain is actually set up, you can use this particular thing for tracking traceability of items from the initial stages as it moves throughout, throughout an entire supply chain. So most supply chain management systems now are kind of moving towards the whole idea of what the blockchain is and actually building something on the blockchain and utilizing it. 
Right. So initially it started out, uh, the, the technology was created and then that was kind of the first application, which was the crypto cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. But as with anything else, it has multiple uses or multiple, it's, it's multi-purpose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now understanding what it is, you, f- you find that other industries, persons, etc., cetera, uh, are using the technology. Uh, but going back to, again, what it's now, what is it now in its current iteration? What, what is it being used for aside from cryptocurrency? What are some of the other uses of, of blockchain? Applications right now, Kadia, are limitless. So yeah, a lot of the research that's happening now, you have blockchain applications that are used for food traceability, um the whole deep fake thing if you think about deep fake and what's happening within that space kyc compliance banks are looking into using it to do that phishing as as i said before uh, events people are using blockchain to manage events uh, in the diamond industry to trace diamonds that Diamond. Right. Diamonds. I'm telling you. So the, the application of it is limitless and, and what you can actually do with the technology now. That segues nicely into how can we use it? Because um, now that we know that the te- this technology is multipurpose and there are you know, several uses for the technology. And of course, you know, one of, one of, one of the beauty about technology is that you can apply to perennial problems, um, to solve parallel problems. That's what technology is there for, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about in the Jamaican sense and some of the perennial problems that we have, especially as it relates to food production and, and, uh and that includes agriculture and everything else that is associated with that, because that's, that's going to be one of the biggest things in the future. We're already talking about scarcity in terms of food and being able to produce enough food to feed us and feed generations to come. So that is fast becoming an issue, if not already an issue, because we know about the the unequal distribution of food just globally. Uh, How can we use blockchain technology to address that issue? All right, that's a good question. And and I think one of the biggest things, so you see this whole, you have to think about it twofold, you know, because when you look at it, a lot of persons in, in the economy, they survive by, you know, trading goods and services. And, and a lot of the times mm-hmm. those goods and services might either be real or either be fake. So now you realize right. that blockchain kind of, in a sense, is, is more geared towards a more sophisticated society, more or less. Um, so, for example, if you want to track food items, for example, and you use that example, it, it helps to eliminate counterfeit, for, for lack of a better word. And what I mean by that is that, let's say, for example, you have... You, 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 you're in Jamaica, so you, you've been downtown, you see the different type of variation of different things, whether it just be a bottle of soda or whether it be some kind of food item or lotion or whatever the case may be. So you have a particular food item, whether food item or grocery or whatever it is, and you want to know, for example, what you're putting into your body and how or where this particular thing was created. So what blockchain helps to do is that if you have that item, let's say it's a bottle of juice, and 
initially when that was created, a particular barcode was embedded on that bottle in mm. of itself before it gets to shelf. You know, as the consumer, you can have a regular QR code blockchain scanner and scan that barcode and see the entire traceability of where that particular bottle of juice was created. So things like that, in even in your case, mm. you create content for your podcast, you can actually embed or inject a particular, not necessarily barcode, but you can put a, what would I use now? Let's say, for instance, a bar, inject a, a, a barcode or, or a particular API in all your audios, and then you won't, you will know initially from the start that this is your content. And if it is that, if you don't have, um, what they call it, if you don't have, when you when you make intellectual property, if you never sign up for any kind of intellectual property by just embedded your content on a blockchain you can say that this particular content originated from you and if it's duplicated anywhere else later on you can know that you're the original author and creator of all of these things so it it, it helps in in various different ways and as i said supply chain management for people who run factories they can know that let's say Burt's is importing a lot of things from China and they want to know that it's coming from a particular factory. And they know that these guys are the ones who create it versus those guys who create a certain product that's not so good. So adding things to the blockchain helps with all of that in terms of improving the traceability of items. Right. And it's like quality assurance in a way, right? Because then you can check to ensure that this is coming from where it's supposed to come from and, you know, what's in it and how it was made. That kind of traceability you're talking about right. is, is, is like a quality assurance right. kind of thing. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and, and that's especially important when it comes to, again, food security and the, the, the distribution of food because what you find happening a lot of times is when food is being distributed to certain places, the quality tends to drop or we, we kind of get their we call that leftovers sea uh-huh. quality stuff uh-huh. so in that way as a government too I guess you can track the food that you're importing exactly. or buying or whatever um, and ensure that the quality yeah and it's coming from where they say it's actually coming from yeah, and is, is that a part of the research you're doing? Yeah, so that is a part of the research that I'm doing. So for, for now, I'm working with um, the fisheries industry and I'm working with governments, it, the government, the Welsh government in, in supply chain management. So the fisheries can actually issue and monitor and share, revoke, add different people and scale digital passports of the products that they're they're putting on the blockchain and then the supply chain management factories and consumers can actually verify that data to see where exactly where exactly it's coming from and what's happening with it or where did it originate did it come from here and then it feeds into other things such as if you think about environmental uh, factors such as sustainability are people fishing in sustainable waters versus all of those little things. So you have different different side use cases that are coming out of the research at the moment. Oh, 
Okay. Why did you choose that in terms of your research area for blockchain? Well, actually, this industry, a lot of folks uh-huh. don't know, but this interest, the industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. So, um, mm. For me, it's, it's not necessarily the area, but the technology and what the technology can do. And at the mm. moment, um, the government is looking into supply chain management. So it's trying to see how can blockchain really enhance the supply chain management section of society? So that industry, how can it help that industry? Not just this industry, but in terms of automobile industry. So what the, the UK government or the Welsh government is doing is really and truly pumping in money to improve the infrastructure of how the country is managed, how everything happens within the country, how everything runs from manufacturers to consumers and and how all of that can be improved with new technologies such as blockchain. So is that the only research you're doing into into blockchain technology? Is there any any other sectors or industries uh, you're looking into? Yeah, so we're also looking into automobile as well um, and that sector to see how we can track and trace products originally from before they come to Europe. So it's not just one application. We're looking into the, the, the variation and dynamics of how this can actually help improve a lot of the infrastructures uh, on the ground level. And and what's the relevant what what would be the application of that, say for instance, in Jamaica? Because my thing is always Jamaica. What can we what can we use these technologies for here? So uh, supply chain technology, especially when it comes to the fisheries industries, etc. How can that be applicable here? And in what way can that kind of help us to improve? In many ways, maybe lower government spending, make government a little bit more efficient, if that's something that we actually want to do. I'm not sure, wink, wink. But (laughs) how can your research, what you're researching now, be kind of applicable to Jamaica? That's actually an interesting question. And as I said, the the application is is very dynamic and Mm -hmm. people are using it for a lot of things. So even... I think there is now a, a, some research going into finger, in, embedding fingerprints into blockchain. So even a simple mm. thing as what the government is trying to do now with, with needs, needs. yeah, also can improve authenticity because you can know that from the get-go that these particular IDs are going to be authentic because of how they're created and what you can embed into those ID cards from the get-go. So a simple person, you wouldn't just show your ID, you'd go somewhere and let's say they would scan your ID and they'd know that this particular ID was originally created by the government at X time in this X office or whatever the case. So it can use to improve the efficiency of government services. Even in in the tourist industry, you can use it for digitization and tracking of how many tourists come in where they are a lot of things anything that has to do with traceability transparency tracking anything at all that has to do along that line supply chain management it uh, using a blockchain identity management regulatory compliance 
like the the possibilities are endless of of how you can use it to to improve the way of doing business or the way of doing services right because you you could also use it to authenticate documentation as well we all know the struggle with just something as simple as trying to open a bank account and i said bank account because i know you work at ncp (laughs) so something as simple as opening a bank account or trying just trying to do business or get business done register for something sign up for something you have to go to the get a jp and authenticate document Mm -hmm. one long tedious annoying time consuming unproductive if you ask me process and all of this could be simplified with the blockchain very much so very much so so actually people are using it to do a lot of things and i was reading an article the other day where in in 2020 the latter part of 2020 into 2021 Mm -hmm. um bmw actually launched a a a black a blockchain platform that allows the company to track components um track the components from from origin to to the factory so mm-hmm. by adding their suppliers to that particular blockchain platform bmw was able to to view its entire supply chain um along that particular because you know bmw would import parts from different different places the wheel yeah. here so the rim build here so all of the different things so they had the up they now have the opportunity to track and trace where every single part is coming from by simply adding their suppliers so it kind of creates, in our essence, a visual audit trail, for lack of a better word, to see everything that is happening within your space. Right. So mm-hmm. could it be a situation where RGD is on that blockchain, uh, tax office is on that blockchain, NIS is on yeah. that blockchain, all these these bodies, these government arms that are responsible for identification you know for whatever purpose tax purposes etc all of those could be on that blockchain sharing Mm. the same information so for instance when it comes to authenticating who i am kelia francis then Mm -hmm. it would be a simple thing as maybe as you said a a, a mobile application that can be downloaded so Mm -hmm. if i'm going to somewhere and i need to present an id or present some kind of documentation it's on the blockchain i get into this thing i log in and i'm able to show them my thing and just get instantly verified fully is that is that something that's in my head or is that can that be a thing 100 percent, you're correct so that's the idea of it so you can have all of these entities on a blockchain Mm -hmm. and all they need to do is one simply verify and they know that all right this is all the information for kadia right and they don't have to keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again so even if if all government services for example was supposed to be on a blockchain even when it gets to the time for you to let's say go to nhd and you want to take out a house by simply mm-hmm. verifying who you are they would know that okay kadia is connected to all of these other government services on the blockchain mm-hmm. and everybody mm-hmm. can verify who you are right and that would save us so much time and headache and cut down on the paperwork save the trees a hundred percent Okay, that's 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 cool though, Odin. But as as a researcher in the blockchain space, I'm sure you are also aware of the anti-blockchain conversation. 
right? And I think one of the things is people are saying that, okay, sure, yeah, the, a feature of blockchain is the whole security thing, but who secures the actual blockchain itself? Especially when we're having a conversation about government entities using blockchain to track and trace, especially going back to this whole NIDS thing, right? Do I trust all these people who are in this node? That's another That's another thing too. So that's a conversation that I'm sure uh, people will have. That, that's, that's like one part of it. So who secures the security? So if that makes sense. The, the chain secures itself because... Mm. With decentralization, right? When you have a decentralized network, no one has to know or trust anyone else because each member in that particular network has a copy of the same exact information in the form of, of that distributed ledger. So if a but what if the what if the information am I wrong? Right. So if a member of that ledger or in that chain is corrupted in any way, it's going to get one either overwritten by everybody else in the chain or that particular node will get rejected and pushed out of the network Hmm. so that's how it happens so let's say somebody is trying to inject new info so let's say at the very start if we're talking about id we have information on yeah birth certificate etc right so we know that this is kalia and then Later on down the line, you have a particular number and we see that number is being matched to a different name that's not your mm-hmm. name. Then everybody else in the chain goes and no man, no, no, this is a number you will use for this in a multiple different places and all of we have this. So you need to either, one, change that information and update it to what it was originally being used for or two, that is going to get rejected and pushed out of the blockchain in the most simplest form ever. That that's I think that's the most simplest way I can explain it. But, so you have to ensure that from the beginning, then the information was correct because then that's right. the information at at that at that yeah. genus point, the origin point. Yeah. That is the information that's going to get shared. Uh, so for right. instance, birth certificate is up. Yeah, whatever. Maybe my immunization information is up. So we know Kayla was born here. We know she was immunized here. She went to these schools. Right. Then I grow up. She know she, this is where her she started working because then this job started paying my NHT, whatever my 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 deductions, right? So all that information right. is continuously being updated about me using that same kind of genus number, whatever number was attached to my information in the first place. So every time. The information gets updated. It keeps getting added. I get married. My last name changed. Blah, blah, blah. All that information gets updated. Right. So if somebody is trying to use my identity or steal my identity, then trying to use that same number, the system will reject it because they're going, okay, this doesn't, it doesn't track. Literally, it doesn't track. Exactly. And uh, it's not just a number, but now you realize that even with things such as deep fake application and what's happening there, yes you know that a video or a picture is also data so now when you when you start thinking about it a little bit more complex adding like a picture or an audio or a video on a blockchain let's say it's connected or the government owns that particular blockchain mm-hmm. even somebody using your picture let's say you want to get a fake id we would know based on facial recognition data to say that this is Kadia Francis' face. And if somebody tries to create an ID 
and it's not matching your name, then it's going to reject it. Ah, right, cool. So that's the interesting part. So anything at all that you consider data, you know, everything on your computer is data, mm-hmm. whether it's a picture, video, audio, all of that can be considered as data stored in a database somewhere on a server. Right. And once we can capture that data and store it somewhere, that data now can be added to a blockchain. Beautiful. So in 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 respect, the whole concern that we have about needs and people being able to access our data and our data not being secured, it kind of dissipates with blockchain because then no one, first of all, only a certain set of persons will be authorized or will be nodes then, will be nodes in the chain. And then it has to go through all these other, um, um, it has to get all the pr- approval from all the other nodes in the chain. So somebody then can just go on the system and, 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 put anything in there or subtract anything from it. But what about having access to my data? But them have access to your data right now. Who are going to be the nodes on the chain? The nodes are organizations that you call about. Right. So RGD can be a node. Tax office can be a node. Mm-hmm. All of these different government entities are nodes. Yeah. And they already have the, because you're going to them for Yeah, but what I'm talking about is who within those organizations will have access to that information. So I'm now thinking there needs to be some kind of, there would there would need to be some kind of law. And, and you see, this is going right back to what the problem was with needs in the first place, which is why the Supreme Court kind of shut it down. There has to be some kind of law in place that says these are the persons, just as just as oh, when we were having the the the, um, the uh, money, anti-money laundering uh, law, right? Uh, in right. the law, it states who in the banks would have authorization to do certain things, like who needs to check this thing and report, like the reporter, who who the mm-hmm. reporters need to be. They talk about what happens in the banks. They talk about attorneys. It it, it kind of it, it sets out who the persons are that have a responsibility to report, right? right. So is it that with this, we, I'm thinking we probably would need something similar. To say, okay, who within the organizations would have a responsibility to report? Or maybe a situation where you have to create that role, just as our banks had to create that role. You don't want just anybody in the organization being able to go on and just access the information. Right. So right. is that kind of like, because that's, that's, that's the concern a lot of people have. No, as far as I'm concerned, I think that's rich because we go on social media and give them our information all the time. Uh, even if you look at our resumes, we send our resumes to so many people, and uh, for some reason we put our home address <laughs> on there, right? So they have all our information. Um, but it's just you know the history we had the people versus the government that it, it, we kind of have an adversarial kind of relationship with the government um, in Jamaica, whether it's because of party affiliation or just historically. So there's, there's, there's a trust issue that we have, not just with government, but with institutions in Jamaica, regardless of the institutions, there's a trust issue. So I think one of the things that people want to be sure of is that we know exactly who has access to our information. And so if anything goes cock up, we can go, okay, this person was a person who was supposed to have access to our information. So let's talk to this particular person. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is true. That is true. And I mean, that, it, that's outside of the technology itself. But definitely, um, those kinds of, of 
those kinds of security measures need to be implemented. Right, because we, we need to ensure that the technology works as efficiently as it can work without human humans messing it up. Because the technology right. will work how it's supposed to work. That's how it was coded to work. But humans right. can really screw that up so, because, for whatever reason. They don't know what they're doing. They're not authorized to be doing what they're doing for whatever reason. So it's, it's like securing the technology to ensure that it does what it should be doing. Exactly. You know what I mean? But then, exactly. yeah, that's not for you. You're the scientist part. You're not the lawyer yeah. part. But <laughs> I'm just throwing it out that policies need to be in place to ensure that the technology not only does what it's supposed to do, but that there's trust in the technology. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's the only way that people are going to really and truly trust not just the technology, but mm-hmm. the people who are implementing the technology. Yes. People need to be in a space where they know that, you know, Am I secured using this? Is it okay to do mm-hmm. this? Like, what are the ramifications? Who can be penalized? All of those things. Yeah. Trust in the society. Yeah, it has to be legal recourse. Because th- that's kind of the same way the law came about, right? And, and so we've spent so many centuries, years, just as humans in general, uh, getting people to trust the law, just, just trust the system in terms of the, the, the justice system and trust that it's supposed to do what it's supposed to do. So you, you, you find that your car says certain things as an officer of the court, you can't really say certain things about a judge or about the court, it's because you want to ensure that the public has a certain level of faith or trust in that system and it's kind of the same thing with technology well not kind of it is the same thing with technology you always want to ensure that what especially because we're not a digital culture right mm-hmm. we didn't yeah. grow up with science and technology and that kind of thing is very new to us and you know as with anything that's new there has to be some time for us to fam- get familiar with it to get comfortable with it and then the trust will come from 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 that Here's, here's the, 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 the other side of it. Of course, persons are naturally going to be comfortable with what they're used to. Yeah. Right? If you've been doing something a particular way. But what if mm-hmm. I put it to you that if you are interested mm-hmm. in trying this this particular way, then XYZ can happen. Take, for example, my mother. My mother is 50-something years old. Mm-hmm. And this lady, she would go to the store, do her shopping, whether it is that she's traveling or whatever the case. My mother, if she sits and not, if she go overseas and she see a nice blender that she likes, then she would buy that, pack it, put it in her suitcase, all of those things. Now, I introduced my mother to Amazon and I'm like, mommy, you know that you can simply just go on Amazon, browse a hundred different blenders if you want and simply click and check out and pay. And using our dropshipping services that are in Jamaica, you can simply get that blender in a few days mm-hmm. to your door. Convenient. So how can I put it to you that using the technology is not only going to improve the way of how you are doing things, but it's also way much more convenient. And, and that's how, how we need to put the, the new technologies to person. But it's expensive. That, oh, is it more expensive than buying a ticket going overseas and putting a blender in a suitcase? Is and it? Make custom copy of? 
and charge you X amount of money? You see, that's that's the way we need to think about it, right? We need to think about all the... Because sometimes you don't see the costs and all the attendant costs and all the adult because it's happening at different yeah. points in time. But when you yeah. explain that today, when you sit down and go, okay, it adds up because look at this, this, that, 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 that. And this is where I think digital education needs to be a part of the curriculum because we're very, we're very much traditionalists, right? In the, mm-hmm. in the way we do things. It's going exactly. to take some time to do that kind of convincing. The whole point of this is that in order to get the technology to work for us, make to make the technology work for us, to get to where we need to be as a nation, you know, we'll talk about vision 2030 and all that good stuff. We need to, one, public education is necessary and we need to become digitally literate. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's kind of where the fall off um, tends to happen. So public education, digital literacy, digital education needs to be a thing. So it's not just, hey, well, we're using blockchain technology to do this and this is what this is. And people are going, what, what, why, why, why are we doing any of this? But if you, if, if, if they had that base, it would be a lot easier for you to kind of get buy-in. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? The public education is very important. Yeah. So are you planning on doing anything like that? Or are you just going, I'm just going to get my PhD and be a doctor and just make a lot more money. <laughs> What's kind of your plans after you do your research and stuff? What do you want to do with all this knowledge that you've gained? I mean, more and more, we, we realize the importance of technology mm-hmm. and you know how it's enhancing certain systems, how it's enhancing productivity mm-hmm. and all of those things. So for me... Um, some of our leaders know, especially in the Jamaica and the Caribbean, are realizing the importance of, of technology and advancement. And I've always, you know, been interested, love, fascinated with the technological space and what it can do, because I've traveled quite a few places around the world and see how technology really moves a country forward. Definitely. And Right, right. Especially places like Singapore and, and, and certain places in China. It is it is amazing to see what technology can do and how it can improve infrastructures. And I really think that within the Caribbean region, we need more tech-oriented leaders within the space to contribute to the conversation, to contribute to the advancement as it regards to development, because a lot of the development that's happening within the space you realize that it's not fully thought out and what can happen in terms of how technology can enhance certain systems we don't have those kind of conversations happening and people are doing things you know modus operandi they're doing it how they've always been used to even in terms of development so for me being able to learn all of this and take back and contribute to the development of the country i think is a very possible path for my future that's awesome and i'm i'm proud of you to be honest with you i'm proud of you because i i always like to see especially because technology digital that's kind of my lane so i always like to see when jamaicans kind of really get into that space and do really innovative things in that space and whether it's research or creating the applications or whatever it's always a joy for me to see because i think we do you see because for a lot of the times we are the end users of the application we're not the creators of the application i think we 
we've kind of settled into that role and I don't want us to because we can use technology to solve our problems. It's not going to yeah. be a panacea, but it, it's damn close. It's going to be damn close. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, I always like to see us get into that space and, and just do shit in that space. So in, in that way, I'm proud of you and your all your degrees and stuff and that you're still, you know, educating yourself and hopefully you 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 do choose to come back to jamaica because i know it's tempting i live in jamaica well hopefully nobody steals you right <laughs> from jamaica and that you come back here and apply the knowledge jamaica that you have is, jamaica is always home oh. i don't think i'm going anywhere which is which is one of the reasons that you know i'm still i, I haven't left jamaica because i'm still working there um but you know, I I do travel back and forth, but learning and, and gaining this type of knowledge and exposure is, is very important because now we have to appreciate that even the talks that the government is doing now, Jamaica is really and truly shifting towards a knowledge-driven digital economy with a lot of the things that that's happening within the space, more so needs and, and the potential that that has and what it can do for the country. Um, if it's implemented properly in the right way and all, and all the, the surrounding policies are there to mitigate the problems that were highlighted before. But definitely, the idea of Jamaica moving forward, technology has to be a part of the conversation and we definitely need more tech-driven leaders um, to add to the conversation. Awesome. All right, and I think that's a good place to end. Thank you so much for talking to me, Adin. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Digital Jamaica podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and leave a review. You'll be helping the show to reach more digital Jamaicans like you who would benefit from the insights shared on this show. If you're feeling the vibes, you can follow for more on Instagram at digital.jamaica or on Twitter at the Digital Jamaican. And of course, I'm always open to connecting and collaborating. So you can find me over on LinkedIn at Kadia Francis. Until next time, guys, take care.